0: We also would love to connect with you on our social media on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy. I do want to take, do a quick recap. Last week, um, last week we uh, we did week two of our One Thing series. We've been in a series called One Thing based out of Psalms 27. And uh, I don't know if you've been enjoying it. I've been enjoying it. I've personally been meditating on this passage since July. I can't get, uh, anytime I go to the Word, I meditate on this passage. this Because I, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in that less things become a reality and a revelation in your life, in lifestyle. You can read all you want. And not saying don't read, don't but I when I read I study and I meditate. I go into the word and I let it become a part of me. So I've been ruminating on this passage since July, Psalms chapter twenty seven. And uh, so we've been, this is week three, this is our final installment of the series. If you've not heard the messages, I'd encourage you to get a hold of our YouTube uh, channel and podcast and, and watch it or, or listen to it on iTunes. And so I'd encourage you to do that. But week one, we talked about, Let me going give you a little bit of a recap, that one thing, and we talked about what was the one thing that David was praying through, asking and seeking in Psalms 27. And we talked about how we are called to live in, look at, and lean on, really, in general, the presence of God in our lives. And we talked about how that presence of God connects to the gathering, the house of God. We talked about what that looks like. And then in week two, and uh, week two, we jumped to the next verse, which was verse five, because the first week was ma- based on verse four. The following week, which was last week. We, we dove into verse 5, and we talked about how if we would, he will when trouble hits. We talked about protection and promotion, the two things that come as a result. If we would just reprioritize and realign our thinking, our heart posture, our focus in life, then he would do these things, protection and promotion. We simply align ourselves with the promises of God when we make things right in priority. You with me? So, we talked about that last week. And then this week, we're going to read all of the verses and end with verse 6. Are you ready? So, we're going to dive into Psalms chapter 27, verse 4. Verse 4 The one thing, everyone say one thing. I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He's praying and asking God, I want longevity. Once again, the temple, the actual physical temple was not built yet. The tabernacle, which was the temporary place where the presence of God dwelt. This is what David was referring to. But he always saw a future. He always saw into the future. He always saw a physical temple. But this was a temporary place called the tabernacle where God would meet with the people. The manifest presence of God would meet with the people. Moses set it up. Moses would speak to God face to face as a man speaks to his friend in this place while they were in the uh, wilderness. He had this kind of relationship. The presence of God was present, okay, and manifest in this tabernacle. So David has this heart: I want longevity because everything in that culture—you got to understand this—spirituality was not disconnected from the meeting place or the the, the meetup place, so to speak, with God in the tabernacle. And so you couldn't separate spirituality from that. In fact, if you talk to uh, a Jewish believer about the importance of gathering, because remember Jesus was a Jew, he is a Jew, okay. If you talk about the gathering, they would talk about how it's the very center of their faith. Food, family, and faith. It's the very center. And when we gather together, family comes together. There's something that happens that does not happen when you're alone by yourself. So David longed for this, you guys. That's why it's so important you don't, you don't forsake, so to speak, the connection, You have every excuse in the world why you would not or should not come to church. Let me just tell you, you guys, this, these moments, it's not everything, but it's a huge part of the one thing that David was seeking. I want that place where I can come and gather, get a hold of God in a different way, in a different light, because then he goes on to say in verse, uh, and continuing on in verse 4, I want to delight in the Lord's perfections. I want to see the beauty of God in the very tapestry of what I'm a part of. I want to see the beauty of God. I want to delight in His awesomeness. And one of the ways that they would see His awesomeness, yes, it was the glory of God, the presence of God, but they would also see it through the way that the tabernacle was situated and designed. God, It all had a purpose. God actually, it came from God's head how the tabernacle and the temple future would be set up. It came from God's head. Everything had a purpose. And so you'd come into that place and you'd see the beauty of God in that place. Well, guess what? Peter said that you are the living stones. So whenever you as a stone come and gather with the other living stones, guess what happens? You create a new tabernacle that God loves, and all of a sudden now, because other stones are, are, are here with you, you all of a sudden see yourself differently, because you see them, because when you get around the right people, how many of this to be true, when you get around the right people, if you are feeling like really down, really low, and you get around the right people, all of a sudden you start to feel a little bit high, a little bit better, why? Because you see yourself differently through the reflection of the people that are in a good place around your life. So when you gather as a stone, all of a sudden you begin to see the beauty of God through the people around you. This is why this is so important. Then he says, so I'm delighting in the Lord's perfections. Then he says, I'm meditating in his temple. I want to meditate. What that means is to inquire, to go after, look for counsel. Hopefully when you come out of this place every week, you get a little more counsel from God. You, get a, you you. grow up a little bit more. You mature a little bit more. You, you learn a little bit more. You experience a little bit more. Hopefully that's what's happening. David had a longing for that to take place in his life. Then it says in verse 5, if these things are in place, let me just tell you, if they're out of place, guys, and the one thing isn't the main thing in your life right now, these other things, you won't be living the same way that you would if these other things were in place. He says in verse 5, for he will, everyone say he will, Conceal me there when troubles come. A lot of people come to church when they're in trouble. But David is saying, listen, I want to be there not just For the time when the trouble hits, I want to be there all the time so that when troubles come, I'm already hidden there. You get what I'm saying? I'm hidden in the protection of community. So whether I'm good or I'm in a bad place, and I'm a good place or I'm a bad place, I'm already positioned, man. I'm like in a good, I'm in a good spot. A lot of people run to help. They run to God when they're in hell, when they're in trouble. Come on, anybody in this room. I think everybody at some point has lived that life. but let me just say this, when you're on the mountaintop, you need to be more in that place because when everything is good, you're the most you're, you're at the most dangerous place. You're the greatest target. You can run to God all you want when you're bad and God God is so good, He's a good Father, He'll embrace you, He loves you and he'll he's always listening to you no matter where you're at. He loves you unconditionally. It's the beautiful thing about the grace of God. But listen, There's a responsibility on our end whether we're good or we're not doing good to find the priorities of heaven in our life present to make sure we're prioritizing things right because when we're hidden see david said i want to be there no matter what man i love it so much this is a king talking you guys this is not somebody who's just a priest this is the greatest king that israel ever had and he's talking like this there's nothing. I can sit on my throne. I can rule a kingdom. I can lead the sheep of Israel, and it's all good in the hood. I love this. I mean, I, I, he technically, he's the man, but there's nothing like being in the presence of God. There's nothing like being in his house. He said, I'd rather be a host at the door of the temple than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. David had a, uh, an amazing understanding of the truth of being, uh, being connected to the one thing that mattered. You have all the stuff, the throne. The guy's got everything. He's got, got, got the yachts, the boats, all good, man. That's awesome. You're going to do amazing things with your wealth. But David had this understanding that above all of that, I just want him. I want to be where he is. I want to be connected. He says, he will conceal me there when troubles come. He'll hide me, the word is. He'll hide me in his pavilion. Then it says this, and he will hide me in his sanctuary. He'll even bring me a little closer. The word is like literally into the holy of holies. He will bring me into that private place, that inner sanctum, where nothing can touch me. It's protection. It's protection. Then it says he will then place me out of reach on a high rock. I'll have influence from that place now. I'll see different. From that place I'll go higher. There's a promotion that happens mentally in my mind, in my spirit. When I'm in that place, all of a sudden from that inner sanctum of being protected, I all of a sudden now I'm elevated and I see differently. I see from an aerial view perspective. I have influence that I didn't have before. How many want influence? everybody in this room should want influence. I love this. And this is the verse that I want to jump into and dive into. And this is in verse 6. Then it says this. It says, then, everyone say then. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. It's like, only then. So I'm like, I got to get the one thing. I'm asking God the one thing. I want you. Like, I want you guys. Like, when we do, like, I'm not talking about a religion here. You do your spiritual duty by coming to church and you clock in your spiritual hours and you give your tithe, you give your offering and you're, you're good and you feel great and you go home and you have no conversation with God all week. I'm talking about David, this king who is considered the greatest king Israel ever had. This businessman, this king who ruled literally a nation understood the value of friendship with God. The one thing. And if I can get this in place... And if I can be all about his house and I can be all about what he's about, guess what? I'm going to lift my head high because right now i got some enemies around me. How many have some challenges right now around them? You have some challenging enemies. Maybe they're not physical enemies, but they're challenges that look like enemies right now around you. You have problems. You have situations. Every one of us does. In fact, if you don't, I don't know where you live. You have some sort of thing you're believing for. Maybe your son's sick. Your daughter's sick. Maybe you're believing for a, a, a birth of a new baby, a grandson. Or, or maybe you're believing to meet your wife or your spouse. Or you're going through something right now. Maybe you're going through a hard time in your marriage. Or maybe a hard time in your business. Or a hard time in your career or something. Or maybe you're going through doubts in your faith. You're going through something right now. And it's like an enemy around you trying to take you out. David had this. David, as the king, everyone wanted to take him out. He had the platform, right? Right? How many you know anybody who has platform and stands for anything in life is going to get assaulted, whether it's through words or th- physically? I mean, they, they, he had both. David was being attacked physically. They wanted to kill him, take him out. Lots of opposition. Lots of disappointment in David's life. Lots of discouragement, fear, anxiety. All things that are normal for any normal human to go through, Right? And here he is. He's like going through this process. He's like, although I'm surrounded by enemies, I'm surrounded by problems, I'm surrounded. Everyone wants to take me out. I'm going to keep my head high. That's my prayer for Kanye West. All these judgmental Christians out there. And if you're one of them, repent. Now's your chance. They want to judge and just assume he's going to fail. Let me tell you, I celebrate. I don't care who it is. Everyone wanted me to fail. When I first gave my life to Jesus... It's completely normal. I'm celebrating him and I want him to win. I pray that he get a hold of this revelation that David had about like, I got to stay in that place because he's got a lot of enemies right now in the church. Because the Christians are the only people ultimately that wound themselves, that wound their own. It's super sad. We pray for breakthrough. We pray for answers. The answers come. They don't come the way that we wanted them to come. That's why I wore my Yeezys this morning to celebrate, make a statement. Everything I do is intentional. Um, but here we go. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. I love this. Then he says, "This at his sanctuary I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music." You see the shift of focus everything seems like from here getting things right to all of a sudden here Do you see that in those three verses four five and six I was praying this earlier about confidence God wants to restore our confidence in him because you may be confident in yourself in your own efforts let me just tell you this God does not care about how confident you are in yourself because he knows the confidence that you have in yourself will not win in the end for the things that he's called you to actually win in. So I want to talk today for a few moments on restoring our godfidence. I don't want to call it confidence. I don't like that word con. Because here's the reality. There's a godfidence that God wants to give you. But a human centric, focused confidence has this way about it that I believe cons, if you take the first three letters out of that word, what do you have? Con. You know what the greatest con artist of your own life is? Is you. You becoming so confident, in you, I'm a God. Nothing's going to stop me. I just went to the latest, greatest motivational 20,000 member rally and I'm a yes man. I'm thinking of the Jim Carrey movie now. I'm a yes man. I'm just going to, you know, and I, I, I'm motivated and I'm hyped up and I got, yeah, great. And you have, that confidence will only get you so far. Will it get you somewhere? Absolutely. But if you want to accomplish the eternal purposes of God, you have to have another type of confidence that comes from an eternal deity. His name is Jesus. So God wants to give you your, your confidence back, not your confidence. He has a, a whole barrel full of confidence he wants to pour out on you this morning where all of a sudden you realize that without him, things actually are impossible. But with Him, everything that seems impossible is possible. I want my confidence back. And I'm telling you this, you guys. Listen. The reason why I put the hashtag there, breaking through to you, is I'm not talking about it breaking through to us. I'm talking about us breaking through our own challenges of moving past our own confidence to into the confidence He has for us. I want to break through to God. God's already broken through to us. That's the good news of the gospel. But we spend our days trying to break through back to Him through our issues, our mindsets, our challenges, the ways that we think about God that are messed up, screwed up, are not even good. We're, we spend our whole life trying to break through us so we can get to Him. you hearing this this morning. Did you drink your Tim Hortons? sin? I'm <laughs> Sorry, I've got to release a joke. I, I do drink Tim Hortons when I'm really desperate and I feel like I'm under the old covenant. I do bow, go back to the law, sin and death. I do go there. I do go there. But that's my pray, prayer for you today, that we move from confidence, which has a way of conning you to believe that you can win in your own effort, to confidence. I love what Philippians 3 verse 2 says. It says this, Paul says this, to the believers. Listen to what he says. He says, beware of those religious hypocrites who teach that you should be circumcised to please God. He's speaking about, just to give you context, about the focus on outward signs to prove inward belief or faith. He's talking about the efforts on the outside that once was demanded of the law to show faith or to show spirituality or to show trust in God. He's saying, listen, under the New Covenant, it's a better way. It's no longer about the in- outside, it's about the inside. It's not a bunch of regular, about a bunch of regulations, 613 laws, okay. It's about the inside. It's about the law of the spirit of life, which transforms the inside, which changes the outside. I got one person in here that says it's good. Okay, verse 3, for we have already experienced, listen to this, heart circumcision. Now he flips it and says, listen, you guys are being, being influenced. These religious hypocrites are influencing you to refocus on the outside. I'm saying now, listen, you've already had a heart circumcision. You've already had a heart on the inside. (laughs) I was gonna go somewhere. I, uh, I had a conversation. Never mind. Anyways, okay. On the inside, it's all changed. For we've already experienced heart circumcision, and we worship God, listen to this, in the power and freedom of the Holy Spirit, not in laws and not in religious duties. We are those, everyone say those. We, who boast in what Jesus Christ has done, and not in what we can accomplish in our what? Our own strength. So we're going to boast in what God can do through us, not what we can do by ourselves. Okay, because this guy, Paul, man, this guy had all the pedigrees, he had all the education. He was the man. He's probably the smartest religious Jewish person in the room, but he had an encounter with Jesus in Acts chapter nine on the road to Damascus that changed everything. And not that he threw out all of his uh, all of his education or all of his experience, but now he just realized that not even, none of that even matters compared to. The knowledge and knowing of Jesus in experience. Watch what he says this here. He says, we are those who boast in what Jesus Christ has done and not in what we can accomplish in our own strength. Verse 4. Very important verse. It's true that I once, Paul, before he knew Jesus, listen to this, relied on all that I had become. How many have been there? But you're out of it now, right? Because it didn't bring you very far. In fact it probably ruined your life, right? Now you're at the end of yourself, finding the beginning of God. You're like, man, I was so proud of all that I had become. Look what I have done. I am the man. Capital M-A-N. I am the man. Exclamation point. I am the woman. I'm it. I'm a God. Paul says in verse 4, it's true that I once relied on all that I had become. I had a reason to boast and impress people with my accomplishments more than others. See, he knew that. For my pedigree was impeccable. Flip over to verse 7 now, that same chapter. Look, look, look at what he says next. He says in verse 7, he says, Yet all of those accomplishments that I once took credit for, I've now forsaken them. Did you hear what he said there? All those things that I used to, I used to take credit for them. I'm the man. I'm a God. I'm awesome. I'm incredible. He says this. I have forsaken them and regard it as all regarded all as nothing compared to the delight of experiencing Jesus as my Lord. What he's saying is there, I had my own strength, and there was reasons why I had my own strength. All that I had done gave me that that strength, but it was a false sense of strength. I've lost it now. I don't need it. I've realized that there's nothing in comparison to the strength of God that comes by experiencing him. That's what we're about here at Kingdom Culture. We want you to leave here experiencing the reality of who he is in your life. Not just a good message. Not just a good, like, oh, I went to church, did my duty. woohoo, sang Christian karaoke with words I don't even know what they mean. And I, I went home. No, I want, we want you to experience the reality of heaven in your life. He says, yet all I've counted as nothing. And so I want to say this as we move in. I want to give you three things that the heart has to go through. The changes that the heart, that there's three changes I believe. The heart has to go through that we see here in Psalms 27 to restore our god Come on, say it. You're falling asleep. Do not fall asleep. Say godfidence. I get you to talk because you guys sometimes make me tired looking at you. It's so comfy. You guys look so comfy. And it's dark. Dark and comfy all we, and warm always equal tiredness. So I think we should crank the AC, do something. Uh, that's what a lot of smart churches do. They, it's freezing in there. We're like, oh, how are you going to sleep in freezing cold weather? Anyways, the heart goes through three changes in restoring our confidence. And I, this message for me, however deep we go with it <clears throat> in the short time that we have, is a, is a deep well and a deep journey for me, because first of all, everyone in this room, whether you have not yet, in your relationship God with God, will go through seasons like David did, where your confidence is attacked. The way you used to trust in God is assaulted. And often we are and become aware of these seasons. By letting, God will allow us, okay, to let our own confidence rule and win for a season. He'll allow our own confidence to show us that it wasn't actually a confidence that they, we thought it was in God, but it was a confidence in our own efforts. If you've never been in that season, you haven't lived that long in, in your relationship with God, and if you, you have lived long enough, you have uh, already have been through this, or maybe going through it right now, and, it, it, and either or, you're gonna about to go through it where you're going to be challenged. Your confidence is going to be challenged. Your god is going to be challenged. And I, I would say that just in the last seven years alone, I just used that, um, seven years alone, just within the local church part of it, there was two seasons of my own life, 2014 and 2017, where I probably had the hardest assault, one of the hardest assaults on my god and I had to get a hold of this. I had to get a hold of this in a really tight way. People would look at me often and they'd make a judgment and they'd say, oh, this guy is just like, you know, overconfident. He's like, you know, maybe yeah, people, to people, some people I sound arrogant or whatever. I don't know what you think in your mind, but I hear your conversations in your car ride home after church. Uh, nah, nah. <laughs> But, but, you know, I, I, I really don't know, and, and you know, you you're, you have the right to your opinion. But here's the reality, like, just because I'm on the platform and I have the mic doesn't mean that I'm any better than you. There's an equality in the kingdom, you know that, but there's differences of responsibility. I may have the responsibility to do what I'm doing up here, but it doesn't mean that I'm any better than you. This is where we err a lot. There's this false expectation of an inhuman being on the platform. For all you Marvel lovers out there, I just give you a, uh, yeah. there's a responsibility of being inhuman to not be it's like you're just this super elite, you know, high level like, you know, a marine of the kingdom that's just untouchable. I'm just as touchable as you are. I just have to work through the psychology of it differently because I had to get up here and share the Word of God in seasons where I need the Word of God to be shared with me. And that's why my relationship with God is so important. This is not a religious duty. This is an extension of my relationship with God. What I do on Sunday morning is simply an overflow of the extension of my relationship with God. I'm not getting up here to teach you just to teach you. I'm getting up here to share with you what God's feeding me all the time. I would never feed you something that wasn't already fed to me. I don't go on sermoncentral.com and take someone else's message and just make it my own. I dig, I cry, I weep, I pray, I struggle, I mine it out, I take my spiritual pickaxe and I go bananas on the Bible until I find some gold to share with you that has been shared with me. And those two seasons though, I had to really wrestle through the difference between my own confidence and my own strength because of my own experience, because we do that, we start getting experience in an area, and then we get overconfident in our flesh and don't often know it. And I had to distinguish between that and what is confidence in my life. And often what happens first is your confidence gets you into trouble, so you realize how much of a lack of confidence you really have. Do you hear what I said? Often you have to go through a time and a season where your confidence gets you in trouble, so you can realize how much of a lack of the confidence you've really had in certain seasons of our lives. And if it wasn't for a community. If it wasn't for the right people around my life, if it wasn't for the mentors, the spiritual fathers, the spiritual mothers, if it wasn't for the hard conversations, if it wasn't for just good team, good loving people that I've, I've committed themselves to a process of relationship with my my wife, and I, if it wasn't for those moments, if it wasn't for family, if it wasn't for you, if it wasn't for a love for you and what we do, because we don't do this for us. I don't get up here to speak to myself. You know what I'm saying? It's, doing, it's all about people. If it wasn't for all those elements, I would have thrown in the towel a lot of times. Many, 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 many years ago. It's going to. Anyways, yeah, I, I, I would have not been doing what I'm doing. But I come back to that place of realizing, like David did, you no, know, only one thing matters. And everything flows from that one thing. And that's where I get my confidence. So I want to give you three things. You ready for that? Someone's excited. I want to get you three things. Three things the heart goes through in restoring our God fitness. Number one, write this down. The posture of the heart. These are all things centered around the heart. Because out of the, out of the heart flow the issues of life. Okay. So the posture of the heart has to shift. Has to change. Verse 6, chapter 27. Then I will hold my head high. Above my enemies who surround me, the only way you can hold your head high in a hard season is if your heart posture changes. First, your heart, then your head. I'm not talking about your mind here. Okay, when when we're talking about holding your head high, I'm not talking about a mindset. I'm talking about a physical, a physical over, or a physical demonstration of an inward confidence, God' confidence in your life. You hold your head high because there's an internal health. That's happening within your heart. The posture of your heart has changed. The posture of your heart maybe was in a season where it was focusing all on the problem that you were living in. But now the posture of your heart has shifted to not the problem but the purpose for which the problem has been given and granted. Do you hear what I just said? Sometimes problems are granted to you as an opportunity to develop the purpose within you that you need to develop that you could not develop otherwise. I'm not, talk- I'm not talking about it is unbiblical to believe that God gives you sickness or disease to teach you a lesson. That is not what I'm talking about. That is the most untheological truth you could ever think. God is a redeeming God, and He'll use whatever life gives us to show His glory, but it doesn't mean it was author or given or originated from Him. I'm talking about problems that actually in God's mind actually are just part of the process that we deem as problems that are trying to take us out but are really just working our character to build us up so we can handle what God wants to give us. So the posture of the heart has to change. When the heart changes, the head follows. When the heart changes the angle of our perspective, our perspectives, the change begins to to happen. And so if you were here last week, I talked about this verse, actually, and talked about how, and it's actually the verse before, you know, really echoes this in some way, but the word to lift up my head means to be high actively. It isn't just a one-time moment. You know, you do something once, you're not active. You go to the gym once, you're not active. You go to the gym daily, routinely, it's culture now, you're an active person. Don't take, don't take an active men's multivitamin if you go to the gym once a year. Okay, that's a bad example, but you know what I mean. Just because you do something once doesn't mean you're doing it, okay? So th- to, to, to lift your head high means to do it over and over again. I'm lifting it up actively. I'm, I'm, I'm lifting up the perspective of my life actively every day. Because when you walk with your head down, you're into your stuff. When you walk with your head up, you're into what? His stuff did you hear what I just said when you why, this is why it's so important we get this when you walk with your head down, you're kind of into your stuff, your world, your introspective, your problems, your challenges. All the things that are going wrong in your life. But when you lift your head, all of a sudden you get into his stuff, his perspective. Colossians 3 says, keep your mind fixed on things above where Christ is, where he's seated in heavenly places. Why does Paul encourage the church at Colossus to, 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 to live that out? Because there's something about his realm that's way superior to our realm. Heaven is a superior culture. Heaven is always a superior culture. We are an inferior culture to heaven. So the culture of your problems and challenges right now really are an inferior problem to the culture of heaven, which is actually the domain that you live if you're in Christ. If you are connected in Jesus, in relationship, you live from that place. Exactly what Paul says. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, I will boast in my weakness. I'm going to, the word means to lift my head high in weakness. So that my weakness becomes a portal for God's power in my life. In fact, you know, all those that got baptized today, we had seven baptisms. Champion you, you guys are awesome. Celebrate you. And I want to say this, and I, I'm going to, as a, a pastor, just encourage you right now. I 100% guarantee you will be tempted in the next three weeks. You will go through some challenges in the next three weeks. You will go through doubt, unbelief. You'll get attacked in your mind. It happens. I've watched it happen for 17 years. When you make a step, that's when you get hit the hardest. So expect when it happens, remember that I warned you about it. Because it will happen because the enemy now says, oh, this person is legit, he's serious. I don't have to attack those that aren't very serious. I don't have to go after those really hard that aren't very, but when you make a step like Peter and you get on the water, the temptation now is to look at, oh my gosh, what am I doing? What have I just done? And when he realized what he had just done walking on the water, that's when he sunk. Right? When he realized the step that he had taken and how impossible, what does he think? He sunk. When you take a step, and all of a sudden now you realize how legit that step was, that's when the, the hits begin to come. But I just, I want to encourage you, just be ready. Get your gloves on. Get in the ring. Watch for it. When it hits you, don't let it take you out. You get knocked down, get back up again. You know what, you know what makes a righteous man according to Proverbs? A, man, a righteous man will stumble seven times, and they get back up again. What makes you a righteous man or a righteous woman is not getting hit, it's getting up after you're hit. What makes you right with him is when you get up because you got hit. Don't be a little wimp in the kingdom. If you get hit, hit back. We have all these little bunny rabbit, you know, I'd say another word, but little Christians that they get hit and it's like, oh my gosh. It's like, no, get hit, get hit again and hit back. Get back up. Don't be a wimp. If you're a wimp, you're not going to win in life. Listen, in any area of life, not even spirituality, in any area of life, if you are a wimp, you will not win. People will backbite you, gossip against you, slander you, fight you on Facebook, and make you feel insecure, (laughs) and do all kinds of nasty things to you behind your back. It's just life. Guess what? The church is going to hurt you. Guess why? They're human. The church isn't an institution. It's people. People are messy. The only problems we have in the earth today are because of what? People. Hence the green party. It's all about the the thing. You want to change? Change the people's perspective. Right? (laughs) You guys, people are going to do stupid stuff to you all the time. Embrace it. And sometimes you got to hit back a little bit. But don't let it take you out of your calling and take you away from your relationship with God because somebody said a bad word over you and you got offended. Try to live unoffendable. If you do that, you'll win a lot more battles in life. While I'm on this little, in this moment, let me just say this to you. People that tell me, oh, I left the church because I was hurt by the church. I guarantee you, I've been hurt more by the church than probably anybody in this room. And that may sound like an arrogant statement, but I have compounded interest that pays dividends of emotional pain and trauma from church. But you guys, you know why I'm still here? Because it's people. That's what people do. If you want to lead people, expect it's going to happen. So when it happens, you don't get your religious panties all in a knot and leave. Don't leave the game because the game got hard. Just play harder. My phone got so excited, it just fell off the table. Hope it didn't crack. That was a good word, and I don't know who needed to hear that. I just needed you to know. Like, listen, you're gonna get hurt. Don't leave God and everything because someone hurt you. It's gonna happen. The person besides you might hurt you today. Look, look, look to your right and your left. Say, you might hurt me today. I'm all good. It's all good in the hood. If you hurt me, it's all good. I still love you. I still love you. The enemy wants to take you. I, you know, I we're we're. We, we have this network, and we're, we're with them this week of people all around the world for three days, and we're with them. They come from all around the world. There's people that are impacting Hollywood, actors, actresses, businessmen, humanitarian leaders, people that are changing the world, shaking the nations. Every year, November, around this time, we meet with them and just hang out, cry together, pray together, prophesy over each other, and just build relationship, accountable relationship, so we can win together, so we don't give up. I Listen. I've probably never seen what I'm seeing right now in the younger generation the amount of marriages that are under fire. But let me just tell you one of the great biggest reasons why is because they don't have a tight real inner circle of the proper relationships set up to help them win when they go through a hard time. They want to isolate when they're going through a hard time. Now you got to get all in when you're going through a hard time. Let your mess get out. Be messy with me. Don't be messy by yourself. I can handle your mess. I have four kids. Changed a lot of diapers. I can handle your diapers. I can handle your stink. You get what I'm saying, where I'm going with this? I can handle all the stuff that's going to come out. Nothing shocks me or surprises me anymore. But what I can't handle is when someone has an opportunity for healing and rejects it and then blames the church for not offering it. It's always been there. In fact, we're reaching out to you, and you're like, the Lord of rebuke you, compels you. It's like we're we're in the name of Jesus, compelling the very thing that we need. Guys, it's messy. David had to go through this, and he had to keep his heart posture healthy. It's challenging. He had to keep his heart posture healthy, continually, so that this confidence could return. Number two, write this down. We got to change also for a restoration of the confidence in our life, the motivation of the heart. Motivations are everything, aren't they? You can do all kinds of right things. You can play all the right notes, but if you don't have the right motivation, at some level people are going to discern it. You can tell when someone loves their craft and when someone's just doing it because they have to. Can't you? Right you can tell when someone is, I remember I was at this wedding one time and there was no, uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't a a Christian wedding, it wasn't anything like that, and all I did was pray a prayer for dinner. And one of the guys came up to me at the end of the service, didn't, didn't even believe in God, has no concept, in fact would say he at one time hated God, if he does not still, said the most powerful thing in this entire wedding wasn't the, the, the person who did the wedding, it wasn't anything about the ceremony. It was the prayer you prayed before dinner. I said, why? He said, because I actually felt that you believe what you were praying. I believe, he said this, I believe that you actually believe what you are praying. You know why? Because you could feel the motivation was pure. You can tell when someone really believes what they're doing and really is passionate about what they're doing. That that impacts me. The motivation of the heart. Let's see what David said. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies. We're almost done. Stay with me a little bit longer. You okay? At his sanctuary, listen to this. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy. Sacrifice in life doesn't always feel good, does it? In fact, they're... they're I would say hundred percent of the time it doesn't. It's not supposed to feel good. But when you have a right perspective and your head is in the right place, even the things that don't feel good sound good because the motivation is right. Did you hear what I just said? You can do something, the you could do something that's right the wrong way, and it sound not right. You can do something the right way, with the right motive, and the outcome is totally different. I'm talking about when you're faithful with something. For example, if you're faithful with your spouse, not because you have to be, but because you get to be, the outcome of the love and the life in that relationship will be a lot different than if you're just faithful because you have to be. Now, you should be faithful because you have to, because you're in a covenant. I get that. I'm not trying to say don't be, don't just live by feelings. But I'm saying that when your perspective is right and your head is high and your motivations are pure, guiding your decisions, the outcome is always better on that front, on that side of the coin. The motivation of the heart, he says, at his sanctuary, I will not just offer sacrifices, but I'm going to offer it with a battle cry, the word means. It's a battle cry. Like, this sacrifice is like a statement, and I'm excited about it. There are three motivations of giving. Number one is obligation. Number two is greed. And number three is joy. Scripturally, there are three motivations of giving. Greed, because you want something in return. Obligation, because you have to, not because you get to. Because religion creates a scenario of have-tos. But relationship creates a scenario, to, uh, scenario of get-tos. When you're in relationship with somebody, you get to do these things because you love them. Not you have to. You get what I'm saying? And then we have the motivation of joy. And we give our time, we give our treasure, we give our talent. And when all of these things are centered from a place of the right motivation, the outcome is always different. Because think about it for a second. What if no one rewards you for giving of your time? What if no one acknowledges you for giving of your talent? Do you still give it? It's a sacrifice when you don't even know what you're going to get in return for it. It's not a sacrifice when you know you're going to pay $5 and you're going to get $5 worth of something back. It's a sacrifice to know you're pouring it out. And if this is it, this is it. But I do it in joy because of love. Because the one thing. thats all. He's, all that matters is the one thing. what if you feel like your time is wasted? What if, what if the government took away the charitable tax receipt? Ooh, scary topic. But true, right? You know that we're one of three, I think in the world countries that offer charitable tax receipts when someone gives to a charity, specifically a church? Most places in the world, they don't have that. It's just, just give because I get it. What's the motivation for what you do? I'm not saying don't use the benefit. I think it's great. We're blessed to have that. No, I'm real. But if it doesn't there, it doesn't change my principle or my faith or my belief system around why I do it. You get what I'm saying? I'm not doing it for that. Hey, I'll take the blessing thank the government, but if the government changes, which it might, does your motivation or what you do change? What's the motivation for why you do what you do? Is it him and him alone? If it is, you're going to win. David said, I'm going to now not just offer sacrifices because I have to, but when my head's high, my perspective's changed, I'm going to win, I'm going to do it with a battle cry with shouts of joy. I'm telling you this, the only time I've ever seen major breakthrough in my own life when it comes to finances is when I've offered a sacrifice with the right motivation where joy and fear were attached to it. I say fear because it's like, God, you got to do, like, I'm on the water now. I can't wait to share a story with you guys, like, later on in the next series. But this last House of Hearts offering, in all of our lives, it was the biggest, it wasn't the biggest gift, but it was the largest sacrifice that Michelle and I have ever given, sacrificially. And I had a number, and I was like, there's no way Michelle's going to get this number. There's no way. And she got the exact number. I'm like, shoot, this is totally God." It was the most painful. It was literally everything we had left. It was one of those moments where it was like, this is it. It may not have been the biggest sacrifice, but it was the, our biggest gift that we've given, but it was the biggest sacrifice, man. And I'm telling you, three months later, I saw one of the biggest rewards I've ever seen in my life come into our life as a result of that. God breathes on sacrifice. He breathes on sacrifice when the motivation is right. Number three, the last point Number done, I promise you. The sound of the heart has to change. Look what he says here. Not only am I going to lift my head high above my enemies who surround me at his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, but now I'm going to sing and praise the Lord with music. You know what the verb means to sing and praise? It means to trim and prune. When you, you know, when you worship, when we do, when we do what we do, it's not Christian karaoke. It's not supposed to be anyways. When we do what we do, you know what we're doing? We're trimming and pruning all the fruit that shouldn't be on our tree in our praise in our worship all the fruit that is hanging and and, and bearing our tree down under a load God's not called us to carry he's trimming and he's pruning all those things that are holding us down so he can produce what he wants to produce in the next season so every time we lift our head and we begin to sing and we begin to praise it's like we're chopping down the wrong branches that shouldn't be there anymore on our tree we're pruning the fruit we're getting rid of it so that we can produce more in the next season this is why it's so important. You maybe like I'm sitting there. I don't know the music. It doesn't matter. I don't even sing the lyrics, you guys. I just pray while I worship all the time. I hardly ever sing the lyrics. I, I, I get into a space where I'm just pruning. I'm pruning. I'm getting my head up. I remember two weeks ago. No, last week I was in a down space. I was discouraged about a few things. I was disappointed in a few things. I was in a down space, and I'm in my office. And I'm like, how do I get out of this place? And I'm literally, I've been in this scripture for like since July meditating. And I'm like, obviously go to Psalms. So I start reading in Psalms 27. and I get to this verse. Singing. Singing. And praising, and I'm like, Why isn't this happening right now? Turn on some music, and I just begin to pray. And I know this principle, you guys. Obviously, I teach this, I live this, but it was a moment of forgetfulness where I'm like, How do I get out of this space? You know, when you're in that space, you know, there's a cloud over you. It's like, You don't even know there's a cloud over you until all of a sudden you get a revelation. There's a cloud over you. You're like, Oh my gosh, why is there a cloud over me? There shouldn't be a cloud over me now. No longer is there going to be a cloud over me. So I get it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to lift my head up. I lift my head up literally, and I begin to sing, and I begin to praise in my office. I begin to speak in tongues, pray in tongues over the word that I was reading psalms 27 and all of a sudden it was like everything in me elevated was like everything in me elevated. It was like strength and, and, and power and, and just like wow, like what am I doing? Like why am I there? Singing and praising. I'm pruning and removing and trimming all the things that are weighing me down that shouldn't be there. Maybe at one time they were fruit but now that fruit maybe is a little bit a uh, uh, rotten or it shouldn't be there because it's blocking other fruit to grow. And so now I begin to praise, I begin to sing and I begin to chop down trees. I begin to chop down branches. I begin to chop down, remove the fruit that shouldn't be there. So the fruit that should be there there comes. Are you hearing this this morning? I would rather sing the songs of praise than sing the songs of my problems. Because I, I tell you so many times I can do that. I start singing the song of my problem. The problem. What's not happening. The disappointment. The error. All these different things. And I can sing that. But you know what? I have so much to be thankful for. And so do you. You're breathing that's all you need. You're breathing. You have breath. That's all you need. It's only thing you need to be thankful for. I want to go from complaining to cooperating with him in this season more than ever.